CEO just needs a CFO to be their strategic partner, their listening board, maybe challenge them when he or she needs to be challenged. Does it mean they have to golf together? It does not, but they have to work together for the greater good and challenge each other and, you know, support each other when appropriate too. In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading accounts payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com. Thank you for joining us on Leaders of Modern Finance. Uh, today, we have with us Jack McCulloch. He is the CFO Leadership Council founder and CEO. And we're very happy to talk to him today. He's going to be joining us to speak with us about his book, How to Be a Rockstar CFO. But we'll talk about quite a few other things as well. And I am Tiffany Fox Quintana, the VP of Marketing at Stampley. And Jack, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? First of all, you know, thanks for uh, inviting me. I'm really excited to be here today. Looking forward to having this conversation with you. So in terms of my own background, I am the founder and president of the CFO Leadership Council. We are a national member organization. We have about 1,800 members across North America in 28 chapters. Before the group, I was a CFO for 26 different companies. When I was a younger CFO is when I started this group, just sort of to, to build a network and develop some skills. And somewhere along the way, it went from being a hobby to being my job. And I sort of, uh, sort of don't know what I was thinking because, uh, you know, CFOs make really good money. I really love what I do. I, I've really had a chance to impact a lot of members. I am a graduate of MIT Sloan, and I live in Massachusetts. You had recently had a great acquisition with your company, too. Do you want to tell us about your new uh, found partner in business? Sure. Actually, we sold to the chief executive group, which is they're an interesting group. They, they've been around for a while serving chief financial office and, and board members primarily, and they decided to diversify across the entire C-suite. They've invested in a chief information officer group, a chief people officer group, and now a chief financial officer group. So it's going to be great. We're going to have so much more access to talent and content that our members didn't have before. And I'm, uh, you know, really excited about it. It was just about two months ago. In fact, yeah, two months in a week. So been, uh, it's a great time to be part of that organization, which is growing fast and has a wonderful culture. Absolutely. You know, as I was reading The Secrets of the Rockstar CFO, one of the things that you talk about in that book was really the importance of creating those kind of collaboration and cross-functionally. One of the mentors that one of the CFOs had was the VP of sales because she wanted to understand more about how the business was working on that aspect of it. So I'm curious, you know, when you wrote the book, what were your thoughts on making sure that those collaboration efforts were happening and how were the best ways to do that? Sure. And that, that's a, a great question. And CFOs of you know my generation, and I haven't been a CFO for about a decade now, historically, the job was sort of in the finance and accounting realm. And that was about it. A lot of times companies would make the best accountant on the team yeah. would become the CFO. And that's, you know, while I suppose accounting skills don't hurt in the role of being a CFO, 
It's not the most important one. Some of the best advice I got from the people I interviewed was not to think of yourself as a financial executive. Think of yourself as a cross-functional executive who happens to be a financial expert. And to me, that's a great way to do it because when you think about it, and maybe it's even more so in COVID, you're probably the only financial expert on the executive team, unless you're that one in a hundred company where the CEO used to be the CFO. But generally speaking, the CFO is the only financial expert. You know, what an important skill set to bring. So if you're sort of a back office CFO, you, you know, where you sort of report what happens after it happened, that's not really going to cut it in the modern world. And yeah, the, the woman that you mentioned, she was just fascinating to me that, and you know, she was ahead of her time because she did this in the 1990s, maybe the early 2000s, I kind of forget, but there weren't a lot of financial people looking for sales executives to be their mentors back then. And I think there's a lot to be said. I mean, I think sales has a very good understanding of that front line. They're talking to the customer. They understand what the market is looking for and wanting to really accomplish uh, with a product like whatever the company is selling. When you think about the importance of understanding those different aspects, it kind of goes into that debate we've been seeing between does that CFO need to be an MBA or a CPA these days? And I even threw a new one out there to you the other day of like, Maybe they need to be data science these days. So it's obvious that the role of CFO has just evolved completely. And I'd love to hear your perspective and thoughts on all of that. Yeah, it could well be that 10 years from now, the CFO will be, in fact, that somebody will say that data scientist is the best role for CFO, somebody who truly, truly understands the numbers, not just at the level that we do today. But I actually recently did a survey on, uh, it was on LinkedIn and you know, it's not scientifically valid because it's only people who are connected to me, but a, a little more than two to one, people thought the MBA was a more important credential than a CPA. That was unthinkable. It's certainly 10 years ago, and maybe even five years ago, that was unthinkable that the MBA would be a credential because I'm one of the few I actually did get an MBA along the way. And I can't tell you how many people said, why are you doing that if you're on the CFO type of track? You know, why, yeah. why not get a master's in finance or a master's in taxation or something like that? And th thank God I didn't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was reasonable advice at the time. It just it yeah. wasn't forward looking advice. What do you think is driving all of that? Why is the MBA more important now? The job has become more strategic, more operational. There was a study I read a few years ago that at one point, something literally it was like 494 out of the Fortune 500 had a chief operating officer. Yeah. And, you know, it was sort of an internal, external type of thing. The CEO would have a, an external type of role. The operating officer would have an internal role. And the expectation was that that person would be groomed and maybe become the CEO. But now, I mean, I don't know about you, Tiff, but do you know a company that has a COO? I do actually. I know, I know a few, probably. Yeah, I know a few, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's changed from when I, you know, first entered the workforce, where the CEO was kind of the natural, the president, seeing the day-to-day -day operations and overseeing that, and the CEO was probably more dealing with the investors and the board, and that's how I have always seen it. But I've seen more of it becomes kind of rarer and rarer to some extent these days. Yeah, and what's sort of the, the CFO is sort of taken on the role of chief operating officer, yeah. chief strategy officer, and of course, chief financial officer. And, you know, a, a couple of things that have made have made this possible. First of all, I am about to coin a phrase. How about that? But the, the rise of the controllers. Like, controllers are make all these strategic initiatives that CFOs are taking on. 
it's not possible if the financial operations aren't covered properly. So I don't know a great CFO who doesn't have a great controller or maybe the equivalent, like a chief accounting yeah. officer or chief compliance officer or something like that, or a VP of finance, but you have to have a second in command whom you can trust completely. We do have the benefit right now. We have the most educated workforce in history. When I look at controller job descriptions today, they're pretty similar to what I was doing with the CFO job 10, 12 years ago. Wow. Uh, they've really stepped up their game in the last decade. And the other thing also, technology, it's done a lot of things and it's evolved. And I, I know you want to talk a little about that later, but the result of that is CFOs and I, I guess other executives have become empowered. They're doing less day-to-day -day operational tactical type of stuff because they can. Technology right. has freed them up to be strategic thinkers. Right. It has actually moved the evolution of the, the entire function along. So then I, I'm assuming that pretty soon we're going to see the secrets of rock star controllers coming from you, no? You know, it's a great idea. And <laughs> once this thing is over, I am going to try to get a trademark on the, what, what did I say? The rise of the controllers? The rise of the controllers. I love it. The rise of the rock star controller, maybe. <laughs> But what's interesting with this book, I actually, and, you know, part of my motivation, I was yeah. having just all these world-class speakers at our events. They're from Fortune 50 multinationals to, you know, a lot of Silicon Valley CFOs have spoken at our events over the years. And I actually developed the book for controllers. I was thinking, okay, there are controllers. They're maybe six to 18 months away from their first CFO job. Maybe yeah. we can help them a little bit. But I, I sort of prototyped a presentation to a lot of my CFO friends. And they're like, yeah, you're missing the audience. We'd like to learn more about this too. So that's sort of what inspired that it was, I sort of did it in reverse order. I did the presentation first and then wrote the book. I think <laughs> most people probably write the book and then- And then do the presentation. It, but I can never do things like a normal person, Tiff. That's, that's, we all have to beat to our own drum for sure. It so is. in your book, you actually talk about nine traits that you think make somebody a rock star CFO. What, what would you think are the most important of those? Sure, I, I hate to say any of them are more important or less important. I'd encourage an aspiring CFO or even an incumbent CFO is just trying to get better to, you know, try to do them all. The one that was mentioned by every single CFO, and I interviewed, I think, 43 of them, or the two, excuse me, were with strategic thinking and ethical leadership. Uh -huh. I think that they're both so important. Again, getting back to the old role of the CFO being, you know, backwards looking. Right now, there was a study by Accenture. They looked at executive dynamics and what was important and what wasn't. And they concluded it came down to one relationship, CEO and CFO. Almost the other ones didn't matter, but the CEO just needs a CFO to be their strategic partner, their listening board, maybe challenge them when he or she needs to be challenged. It falls to the CFO a lot of times. Does it mean they have to golf together or you know, that their families have to take vacations together? It does not, but they have to work together for the greater good and and challenge each other and you know support each other when appropriate too. So the other one's ethical leadership, which is a little trickier because you know I know as many CFOs as anybody, and I don't know any that are unethical as far as I can yeah. tell. I mean, you know, if they were unethical, they'd have maybe made some different career choices than finance <laughs> and accounting. But it's not just being ethical yourself, it's about creating a culture of ethics, making sure that ethics, it's not just buzzwords and cliches. It's part of how you live. And there's also, it's, you know, ethics, it's a funny thing. It's, it's the right thing to do, right? To be, yeah. We all 
sort of want to be ethical. I know there's some people that don't really care, but most of us <laughs> care about being ethical ourselves. And, but it turns out it's good business because it turns out investors don't like to invest in companies that pollute the environment or that, you know, discriminate yeah. against employees and, and that sort of thing. And employees, particularly Gen Z, which is the one that everybody's coveted, they're probably more philanthropic than prior generations. If they think it's not an ethical company or beyond that, not a company that actively cultivates ethics, they're not likely to really explore career opportunities there. Yeah. You can't just say we didn't do anything that didn't send us to jail, so we're ethical. You yeah. actually have to be philanthropic and take care of your people and, and make sure that you're doing all the right things by everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you touch on an, an important subject, you know, to myself personally is, you know, the diversity that's happening in the C-suite. And have you started to see more diversity in the CFO office? It's interesting because by gender, they've made tremendous progress since the start of my career. According to statistics, it's about 14% of CFOs are female which isn't that great, but in my own organization, it's actually a little north of 40% of our members are women. Amazing. And yeah, and the other thing is like uh, my prior job in between being a CFO and doing this, I worked at KPMG. I did a lot of recruiting on college campuses. And, you know, this was 10 years ago. And back then about 60% of the graduates in accounting and finance were female. And forgive me boys for what I'm about to say, but if you filtered out by, uh, you know, people with over a 3.5 GPA, it was even higher. So it was, they were, you know, at least academically, they were slightly outperforming their male counterparts and there was simply more of them pursuing it. Yeah. So, you know, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Those people right now, they're, you know, two to four years away from their first CFO job, I have to think. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I wouldn't put money on it, but it feels like there should be a transformation right about now. So. Yeah. There's probably a big shift. And also thinking about the changes, talking of transformation, right? Um, COVID was a huge impact to every business out there. And how do you think that that has really changed the office of the CFO? Sure. It's forced a few things. One, it's simply forced CFOs to be more strategic and you know, solve problems and be creative. Because one thing that history's taught us, you know, going back even as far as the Great Depression, is if there's a crisis, if your belief is that you're going to conserve cash, roll up into a fetal ball, and then get up when the crisis is over, the world will have passed you by by then. Yes. Companies that evolve, that innovate, that reinvent themselves and just rethink how they are, those are the ones that are going to survive. And, you know, that's part of the reason that you know, your neck of the woods continues to flourish, right? I mean, absolutely. how many great innovative thinkers are there in the San Francisco Bay Area? Yeah. Not that there aren't a bunch in Boston, but, you know. There's, yeah, absolutely, there's, absolutely. Lucasly yeah, <laughs> large number. CFOs are now much more front and center. And, you know, particularly at the beginning of the crisis, people wanted to hear from the CFOs and, you know, not just employees, but customers, because there's kind of a belief in, you know, it's not always true, but it's believed to be true that CFOs tell the truth more than other executives. And <laughs> I'm uh, in marketing, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, marketing people are honest too, but if you're listening to a marketing person, you know that they've been coached to present things in the most favorable light. Absolutely. And CFOs really haven't, right? They've just sort of been coached to 
tell the truth and be transparent. So, the, you know, the audience perceives that. And what happened, you know, at the start of the crisis, it was the CEO and the CFO both talking. And again, hopefully the CEO is credible. And if not, why is he or she in the role? But, you know, the CFO just brings some credibility to it. There was a study, in fact, uh, of employees, who's the most trusted person within your company? And overwhelmingly, it was the CFO and 2A and 2B were the chief human resources officer and the president. So, you know, at least they did well. I, I, I don't remember where CMOs landed to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the interesting things that you, you touch on in the book, too, is I love this concept. And I've dealt with both types of either the CFO, CFO or CFGO. And, you know, what is the importance of that, do you think, in today's world? And after having to go through all the changes, even from a technology standpoint, what has prevented the CFO organization from going through that whole digital transformation until they're forced to, in a sense, after COVID and it's pushed there? Is that the saying no to their own stuff or saying too much go to the other stuff? Yeah, you know, there's a balance, right? I mean, CFOs by their nature, perhaps they're more conservative and I'm, I'm not talking politically, yeah. but yeah. the business prospect. You know, they, they studied accounting for a reason, right? <laughs> uh, and a lot of them, the majority of CFOs still do have an accounting and finance background, although it's certainly not true anymore. I sort of define a CF no looks for a reason not to do something, and a CF go looks for a reason and an opportunity to do something. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you also, I've known some CF goes, and I say, remember, you're the adult in the room. Don't just say don't just say yes because everybody else is, you know, analyze it, critique it. If it's not right, find a way to make it right. And if you can't, you know, be that adult and say no. But right now, again, you know, the analogy of rolling up in the fetal ball and not surviving, that's a CF no, right? Just yeah. let's just hunker down our cash. Let's lay off 30% of the staff without giving it any further thought and not invest in technology and the other things that we're going to need when this is over because every crisis ends and, you know, let's do that. And then the CFGO would be like, no, this, this is the time we can make the technology investments. We can rethink processes and operations. We can see how automation will make us more efficient. And, you know, that will save costs in the long run. So it's become kind of critical. And I don't know if you know this, but I actually invented the phrase CF no. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was actually, I was like 18. It was my first job. I worked at a I worked at a hospital in Boston and it was, he wasn't a bad guy, but everything was no, you know, can we change the brand of coffee? No, you know, can we, we look at this accounting position? No, it was no, no, no. So I started calling him behind his back, the CF no. One day he called me into his office and he said, I understand you've been calling me the CF no. And, you know, I'm like 19. I'm worried my, I'm going to get fired. Yeah. My parents are going to tell me because uh, I'm a smart ass. And, um, I said, yes, I am. He's like, finest compliment I ever got. Thanks. Keep up the good work. I'm like, what the heck? He, he thought I was saying K-N-O-W. Yeah. His expertise and knowledge. So <laughs> all a dodge there. So, yes. Well, we all believe what we want to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I told that story that the guy in, of all places, the Journal of Accountancy, the guy called me like a week later. He's like 75 at the time. He still reads the Journal of Accountancy. I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> Well, you know, another thing you're you touch about in the book too is though the rise of the the chief accounting officer 
as well. I mean, do you see that that becoming kind of the elevated controller? Would that be a fair statement or how would you think of that in those roles? Yeah, I mean, you know, every company is a little bit different. And I certainly do know a lot of companies that have a controller and a chief accounting officer. A lot of times a chief accounting officer, they do one thing extremely well, which is master technical accounting issues. So like if you're a company that I understand, I've never worked in life sciences, but I understand they have some particularly tricky issues. Or even if you're like a technology company that just has you know seven components to its revenue recognition, you might want a chief accounting officer and all he or she does is do technical analysis of you know, making sure you're recording revenue correctly. The controller I think of as someone who makes the trains run on time. You know, they're pretty good at the technical accounting stuff, but it's broader than that. It's a lot of CFOs I know actually allow their controllers to present at their board meetings, just the financial piece. You know, it's not the chief accounting officers can't, but it, it tends to be really, really narrow. So yeah, absolutely. So if you had to give just one piece of advice, kind of as a wrapping it all up, closing statement for finance leaders that want to go in there and be successful in whatever way they want to go through finance, whether it's the CFO, the CAO, a controller, what would be that piece of advice that you could be to be successful? I sort of have two that I like. Okay. I'll give you okay. one more. Yeah, thanks, thanks for <laughs> okay. The, uh, the first one, I would say get a mentor or a coach it's okay to think out the box. The mentor yeah. does not have to just be a more experienced financial executive than you. You mentioned the woman that had a VP. Yeah. She knew finance and accounting. She wanted yeah. to get a, a broader skill set. So I, I would recommend get a mentor or a coach, someone you can speak to freely. And by That's the way, great. that person should not be your boss. Yes. And whatnot. But then the, the other one, if you force me to pick one, I would say um, it's an outdated expression, but walk the floor. And by that, I mean, you know, get to understand the business of what your company's doing. In fact, did you ever see the movie, The Intern? Uh, no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, geez, I'm, I'm blanking on the woman's name. Great young actress. And uh, she, uh, her, the character. Anne Hathaway. It's funny, you you didn't see the movie and you know the yeah. Yeah, it, it was in Hathaway. Anyway, uh, Miss Hathaway's character, she played a CEO who founded a, an online retailer and, you know, it was a bit of an inflection point. And to prepare for the role, she, she followed a real world CEO in the same circumstance. Rumor has it was the founder of Spanx, but I don't know if that's true. Or not. <laughs> but one of the things she picked up on is the real life CEO actually spent half a day every week on the customer support line, talking to customers, yep. understanding the business, what they did, why they bought it, what the purchasing decision was like, what the product was like when they received it. And in fact, in the opening scene where, you know, the characters haven't been identified, Anne Hathaway was on the phone talking to a customer about her bridesmaid's dresses. And you're like, boy, this is going to be a thrilling movie. Um, <laughs> she just wanted this character and the real life person wanted to just understand yeah. the business in every way they can. So, yeah. you know, understand the customer decision, understand how the product is made, learn as much as you can about the business and don't be a, a backwards looking financial executive be a forward-looking enterprise-wide executive who has financial expertise. Excellent. Great. Jack, it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And I am going to give a little preview, but I believe you're going to join us again down the road too, to talk about your latest and greatest work that you've been doing. You want to give us a little teaser? 
actually, this came from a situation also, also uh, influenced by my members, but I published my second book. It's called The Psychopathic CEO, an Executive Survival Guide. We had a speaker at one of our events from the FBI, and she was talking about psychopathic CEOs. And as she was describing it, I realized that I had probably worked for one. <laughs> and she said, by a show of hands, how many people think they may have worked with such an individual? And about half of us did. So that inspired me to write a book on the topic because there's no book that sort of is helping people who work for one. And it's, it is a business book, not a medical book. I help uh, CFOs and CPOs and others identify a potential psychopath in the corner office and more importantly, figure out what to do if they're in that situation. You know, 15%, that's about, of CEOs a psychopath, that's approximately the same as the prison population, <laughs> which is a scary proposition, right? Absolutely, so. absolutely. No, it's a great book too. I recently started it as well, and I will be all up and running on it when we talk again. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, well, I'd love to give some insights into, have you gone to the Tom Doherty chapter? No, I don't oh, That's That's so. the real life psychopath. Who, oh, really? Oh, my goodness. Endless source of fascination. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to talk to you about him when we get the chance. I'm looking forward to it. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com slash leaders of modern finance. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.